Captain Picard, priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Am I ready, Roman? Welcome to the Readier Room, the only longest-running Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch podcast with the handsomest hosts this side of the orb. My name is Mitchell Nels, Chief Consultant of Services at Paramount, and with me is my life partner, Brandon Hobbs. Every week, we're bringing you behind-the-scenes stories and lore about TNG, BNG, and SNG. Brandon, how are you doing today? Doing great, uh, especially because you mentioned just how handsome I am. Appreciate that, Mitch. Well, you know, um, sometimes he deserves to hear it. You're a you're a handsome man yourself. Ooh, thank you. Um, but I, yes, I, I would I would certainly agree that. Uh, I mean, if you're gonna rank Star Trek podcast hosts, right? By by attractiveness. By attractiveness. Yeah. I mean, um, which we've done, I believe. If episode 16 of the show Mm -hmm. right we had Mm -hmm. that hour-long segment just running down uh our rankings yeah yeah that's right yeah i totally forgot about that yeah Yeah. um you know starting from the bottom you of course have will wheaton yeah um and then you know it only gets better from there but of course we are uh we're right there at the pinnacle you know um i I just want to there's no bias in this it's just yeah I mean, what it is is a responsibility. Mm. It's it's almost a burden, you know. When you're the the most attractive um, anything in any space, you know, there's there's kind of uh, an expectation that you're going to excel, mm. you know, far beyond far beyond anything you know anyone below you uh, is doing. So, um, you know, that's it. Kind of keeps us on our toes. You know, I, I heard this one time the psychological effect that. Um, attractive people tend to be perceived as being really good at first-person shooters. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, it was the halo effect, is what they called yeah. it. Yeah, that's, yes, yes, that's right. And to think that it took them until 2001 to figure that out. Well, people weren't really doing studies until about that time, so it, mm. it checks out. But really, I think I can speak for everyone when... When I listen to somebody, I just hear their voice, and then I find out that they're, you know, ugly to, to moderately attractive, if that. I just feel robbed of my time, my previous time. And if, yeah. if we can do our part in exposing these podcast hosts for what they are, save the audience mm-hmm. some time, um, and divert them to more, um, you know, attractive channels... I think we're doing a public good, the service. Yeah, yeah, we're really, I mean, we're cleansing the space. Yes. Uh, for sure. But um, I i understand we have quite a few items to get to yes. um, before we start this episode. So why don't you, uh, why don't you start us off? I here? have a burning question that has been on my mind for one and a half, two weeks now. And mm. I don't know if you have a strong opinion on this, but I really need an answer. What is the difference between a puppet and a poppet? A poppet. Yeah, like P O P P E T. 
Who says this? British people? I think so. I'm not exactly sure, but I've heard the term and seen the term puppet where I would expect the term puppet to uh, to be used. And I think that um, uh, maybe Nigel Thornberry would say puppet. Somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I don't... The, ooh, the, the guy from that... Um... The God, cartoon that show that my daughter watched. Yeah, it was um uh, in the nineties. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, yeah. So I mean, here's here's, and I know nothing really about puppets, but my my idea here is that a puppet mm-hmm. is um, much less mechanically complex. Um, probably made of cloth. Mm-hmm. Very very. Um, kind of haphazardly put together i would imagine it's more for magic type stuff for witchcraft you know well i i know of your deep interest in witchcraft Mm -hmm. and i want not everything's related to witchcraft but i think you might be broken clocking here um yeah so i accept this i accept this definition and i i'm not trying to make an argument i really don't have any idea but if this is the the explanation, then I will accept it. Well, this this question strikes me as, uh, I mean, the, the the real answer I think would be that poppet is an archaic form of puppet, and so people who use poppet are usually kind of role playing as what, as witches, as like old old timey, like old English medieval well, well, type. Why would people role play as witches? I don't know, Mitch. Um, it, it it does a disservice to the real witches out there. It does. It does. I mean, they're the ones who are fighting the Taliban right now. And mm-hmm. it they deserve respect, if anything. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, and I guess, you know, now is as good a time as any to really give a shout out to all of the, um, the brave, mostly women, right? Right. Um, who are sending their psychic energy over to the Middle East to topple this terrorist regime. I think it's working. Well, we just have a lot of respect for them. In the same way that Star Trek attracts men, um, witchcraft attracts women. And I think the Mm -hmm. two are quite analogous in a lot of ways. You know what? You're right. (laughs) That's actually an astute observation, Mitch. So we can't help but respect them the exact same way we respect all of the Star Trek Mm. fans. On the exact same level. You know, of course, as they always say in Star Trek, uh, uh, technology that's advanced enough is indistinguishable from magic. Right, and magic that is primitive enough is indistinguishable from technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, that that was it. That was your question, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's it wasn't, you know, politics, but... Uh, it was something I wanted to know, and I, I thought, who better to ask? Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, well, since we got that down, I think we can move on to the next order of business, which is um, we would be remiss, of course, as entertainers if we didn't talk about this briefly, but we have lost um, a very important entertainer, mm. um, one of the greatest men of his generation, um, Spottom Gotham has been shot five times. It was five? And 
I think it was five times, and oh uh, he's he's now in critical condition in the hospital. Um, Wait, it, did we lose him, or is he in critical condition? Well, that's the thing. The rumor is we've lost him, but there has oh. no been there's been no uh, no formal announcement yet. Well, I can understand. Um, you kind of want to keep these things a little more in the family, a little more private. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I I heard um, uh, from my son that Twitter was kind of having a day of mourning in a lot of uh, Twitter spheres, and I can see why. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spot him, got him. It takes a lot for um, a musician to have the the outreach, where people like you and me, um, a young musician, I mean, where people like you and me are are this affected by right. by his passing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it does really speak to just how how much of an impact he had on the scene. Um, I mean, when he when he when he linked up with Pooh um, probably the biggest musical event of the past decade. It, it was the Live Aid of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, just wanted to get that out. Um, get ready for for some mourning. Um, potentially. I want to hold uh, out hope. As send your prayers. Yeah, I want to hold out hope until it's officially announced. Um, that he can make some semblance of a recovery i i yeah. i'm not quite ready for a godless world yeah yeah i i i've been bracing myself but we'll see um next thing we have is well so the last episode that aired was recorded of course before star trek day right um so um why don't we talk a little bit about star trek day yeah it was um it was nice seeing all the fans um really appreciate you know the the meet and greet we had um one thing i do want to note is that we do not we do not take unsealed food no it's contributions i uh, i i want to go on record and say i appreciate the effort from everyone from the fans um, there's a lot of uh, Trek insignia cupcakes, um, mm-hmm. home- beautiful stuff, homemade brand bars. It's wonderful, but I think anybody in the con circuit will tell you there's just one too many incidents of uh, spiked food, and <laughs> that can be yeah. either an innocent prank or something far more sinister. But it's the incidents are just too high, so yeah. I encourage you to share them with fellow fans. There's always a ton at our meet and greets, and I I think that's great. But please appreciate the position we're in, and uh, in that case, your effort is a gift enough. Yeah, and um, I think I think it would serve you better as a human being to share those kinds of things with you know a young lady you might fancy, you know. Yeah. Um, instead of us. So um, yeah, all that food we we had to take and we had to give it to um, we had to give that to Will, unfortunately. Um, so I'm sorry to say that we did not try, we did not try your cupcakes, John, or your brownies, um, Sarah. The cake pops you made, um, mm-hmm. they look delicious, but we couldn't do it. Now, um, 
unfortunately for Will, he's been on a bit of a diet recently, and it might have been his cheat day. It's about time. Those treats <laughs> might have stretched out into three treat days. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but he'll get over but it. Overall, uh, overall, really great, uh, really great turnout for Trek Day. Um, our panel on on the dynamics of warp speed engines went over very well. It was a full house. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I your I my favorite part of it was your live uh, Trek trivia challenge, which um, brought right. brought part of our podcast to the fans directly. Right. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, and you know, unfortunately, no one. No one was able to guess it, but um, then again, there, there are a few people who are, I think, as in tune with the the science of, of warp drives as we are. That's true. Now, I, I want to address some of the complaints people had about that. It's Our goal was to bring part of the podcast to you, and when we have a big trivia challenge, it's going to be like it is on the show. So if you thought that one question was too few for a big challenge, well, listen to the show. That's all we do every week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we already had, I think, uh, kind of enough of a, a special sort of segment for the fans in our, in our Q&A, mm. um, which, you know, we only do one of those, but uh, we, took, we took three questions actually yeah it was panel so we exerted ourselves yeah i was exhausted oh you always are after conventions i know how difficult it is for you to be on well yeah even after we record the podcast you always have to lay down for four hours yeah i have to go take a nap i mean i'm getting up there in age you know that we both are it's not easy to be this electric i'll just say no no, I mean, we're big personalities, and big personalities need a lot of time to rest, you know? Yes. So, um, but yeah, I think that I think that covers it for the, uh, the items we had to deal with before the question of the week. I really enjoy the items we have to deal with before the question of the week. It is quickly, yes. quickly rising in my uh, Ready or Room segment power rankings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the items that we have to deal with before the question of the week... I think might become an even longer segment uh, in the near future. I, I have, I'm not going to spoil anything for the fans, but I haven't propped this idea to you yet. I'll propose it now. I'm kind of kicking around making items we have to deal with before the question of the week its own podcast by that title. It's a good idea. It's a great idea. And, you know, that way the fans will have three hours of content every week i i just i i'm trying to get it where i can monopolize the fans time we can monopolize the fans time monopolize the fans time you know get a couple extra podcasts out there um hit hit more varied audiences make a little more money well Uh, we're doing it for the love the love of the fans love of the game well yeah the money's just nice It, it yeah yeah, it's just yeah, very nice. Of course. So, with the items we have to deal with for the question of the week officially dealt with before the question of the week, it's now time for the question of the week. And I think that a little birdie might have delivered this question of the week to you because he gave a little bit of advice, privy to the question of the week, 
So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thank thank that birdie. So this week's question of the week comes from Robert C. down in Wichita, who asks, uh, "Good evening, admirals." Well, little does he know that we record this not in the evening, but we'll let it slide. <laughs> what advice do you have for us ensigns who are still without our first officers? Valentine's Day will be here before we know it, and I think we could all use someone to take virtual target practice with in a black void. That's a that's mm-hmm. a that's a life question, I think. That's um yeah. that's pretty deep. And despite the depth, it has a pretty easy answer, and that's just to drop anything and everything related to Star Trek out of your life. Just get out of it, mm-hmm. don't watch it, don't talk about it, don't think it, don't say it. Um if when when asked, I, most women um, are pretty much actively repulsed by Star Trek. I remember this because we did intense focus testing um, for TNG. Mm. And the, the female demo, no matter the age, just terrible, low scoring. You go to conventions, you see who's there, you know, 90, 90 plus percent men. Yep. And the, the obviously that's, that leaves 10%, but I think I speak for all of us when I say no one should really have to settle for the type of woman that is... Uh, is in the Star Trek. Certainly not. They're not uh they're not lookers, that's for sure. No, no. They're uh they're not thinkers either. So if, you, <laughs> if you're writing into us, you know, kind of asking this question, I I think it's time. Star Trek has had its time in your life. It's time to put it away. You know, you put away childish things like like uh Star Trek and toys and and Jacks in the boxes. Star um, Trek. Star Trek. Um, your pregnant Troy t-shirt, get rid of that. Your phasers, tricorders, quadcorders, anything. Mm-hmm. Get get it away with. Go buy a lawnmower, fix your house up, and uh, you'll the women will come. The rest will follow, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta, you gotta improve yourself first. Exactly. And, and that's, then... That starts with Star Trek. Don't even listen to the rest of this podcast. Um, leave it on, just mute it. But... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we do need the views, but just better yourself and life will follow. And as we said before, um, the, the female equivalents of the Star Trek fan or, or the witches don't, don't settle for the witches. Don't settle for the what's either. Just, mm-hmm. yeah, it'll come. It'll come in time. Do you, do you very, have, very well said. Thank you. Do you have any more advice for Rob, Bob? Robert here. Well, you know, I don't think I could have said it any better myself, Mitch. Mm-hmm. That's never stopped you from trying. <laughs> well, I think you did a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I hope that helps, uh, Rob, Robert C. And if you're like Rob and you have some question of the week that you want to ask us so we can answer it once a week, then send your question of the week to theReadyerRoom at gmail.com or tweet at us at TheReadyerRoom with your question of the week, and once a week we'll answer your question of the week right here on the show. So now, with that out of the way, it's time to get to this week's episode, which I think is going to be divisive amongst, amongst admirals. Yes, yes, it will be divisive among us. It's a very um, suspicious episode, for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I so we're talking about Contagion, which is uh, season two, episode eleven. Yeah, 
Ooh, nailed it. Um, which I really liked. I thought I was thoroughly into it from beginning to end. In fact, I thought that tonally the episode was incredibly unique um, amongst the episodes of this season and probably season one, too, um, which gave it an identity. But the plot of the episode was engaging. The the threat felt um, special and deserving of the attention that it got. Um, there was one bit of weak writing that I might get into later that struck out to me that was a little mm-hmm. contrived to create this situation. Um, but overall, I was I was just thoroughly into it from beginning to end. This is this was the kind of science fiction story that I think Trek really excels at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you hated it. I well, I said I I said off off mic that i hated it and i think that's a strong word um i well look i mean you you have to consider how this episode got its start to begin with you know the behind the scenes stuff going on with it um Mm. and of course this episode was was brought to us by by beth woods Mm. um it says uh acknowledgement from mitch ah beth Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember, you remember Beth, the uh, the, the the gal who worked on the computers for us. Right, right, right. And um, so we had a, an informal competition amongst some of us, you know, uncredited crew. Um, I recall you also participated, Mitch. Yeah, I mean, I tried to get out there and spread yeah. spread my influence around. You know. Well, you know, and it's it's like it's not it's not necessarily that we need needed to have done it because we were very successful in you know our own positions already i mean look at us um yeah i mean come on but it's it's always good to have you know lateral skills Mm. right so um basically we had a competition um and this was early in season two's production where we we all tried to one-up each other in creating the most just trite sleep-inducing tng episode possible and Boy, did Beth's treatment provide that in spades. Um, I know what we were trying. Awful. I know what we were trying to do. I know what she was trying to do, but I, I uh, well, well, okay. Look, I can, I can get your point because you know, for for the, for the audience, what did end up happening was was someone left her treatment lying around, and Maurice picked it up, and and he loved it, and um of course we had to make it a full episode so he linked beth up with steve gerber um oh, like, and yeah like the baby yeah 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 um of of gerber baby fame mm-hmm. um and uh well beth got a writing credit at least congratulations beth go beth mm. so i maintain nice. this has been a point of contention for a long time longer than anyone in the audience will know because this competition, of course, was to make um, the most boring episode of Trek. And because Beth got a writing credit, this was potentially her entry into that. But everybody was like, oh my god, Beth, you won. And then me and maybe one or two other people maintained that there's no way. This is interesting. Like It's it's bullshit that she would win for this because it's a genuinely interesting episode. And mm-hmm. I, it's frustrating to... To, to lose on such a uh, such a judgment call 
Like there, you can make an objectively so. an objectively boring episode, and I don't think this is it. Well, look, we can't discount Gerber's contributions, of course, to the script. Um, but to me, look, I mean, from an audience perspective, I don't hate it. I do think it's the sort of material that Star Trek should be should be dealing with. You know, I feel like it's been a while since we've had kind of a, a, a scientific mystery sort of episode, you know? Right, like uh, an, an alien computer virus is... What's more Trek than that? Yeah, yeah. So it's a cool idea. I'm just not sure I appreciated the overall pacing. Um, I didn't like the sets. Really? Um, yeah. I just I thought they were boring. I thought it was kind of uninspired. I'll, and um, I'll say that the sets certainly weren't the strength of the episode, but I don't think yeah, they attracted for me. And I I thought a lot of the episode was just kind of silly, um, just for all sorts of reasons, which we'll get into. Well, why don't we get uh, into I, that now? I'm very well, f- you know, because it's 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 worth spacing them out to sort of point them out as we go i think sure and i and i know your um anal retentive need to go through these episodes chronologically <laughs> well i don't want to just sit here listing off all the things i thought were silly all at once we're just gonna we're gonna end up with a lopsided episode mitch it's true it's true you gotta bring balance to the force that's what we always say yeah. right yes yes that is a famous track quote yes um but, um, yeah, the question is, I guess, where do we start? Well, I guess we can start at the beginning again, chronologically. Um, I just had a blank because I don't really know where this episode the, begins. Uh, there... It starts, they're going to rendezvous with a yummy moto. Um, the sister and... ship. Yes. You know, there was actually an idea being kicked around before we'd finalized this episode that any appearance of the Yamamoto was actually going to be not the real Yamamoto, like the last time we saw it. Right. Um, it was always just going to be like a figment of the crew's imagination. And in truth, there was no real Yamamoto. That's that's, uh, that's a high concept idea. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, eventually we would have an episode that kind of dealt with their realization that, wait a minute, we've never seen the real Yamamoto before. Is, uh, is this but, the mythical slow burn I've heard a lot about? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, exactly, that's exactly what it is, and, you know, we were ahead of our time in thinking that, but I think we were too ahead of our time, because it obviously never materialized. Yeah, so um, instead we just get a real, real ship. Now, they always describe ships as being sister ships, which I guess mm-hmm. means there's never been a ship with a Y chromosome. I suppose so, but it could also be trans. Ah, that's true, that's true. You know? Well, then why wouldn't you ever have one, you know, going the other way, a sister ship that comes to identify as a brother ship? Well, I think the job of being a ship is inherently maternal. You know, you're carrying all these people inside you. That's true. You're protecting them with your shields. Right. Somebody docks into you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's everywhere. So uh, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a male ship who is comfortable with himself. Mm, I feel it. 
and they're always calling it like they're always calling ships by female pronouns so of course they're going to get confused yeah i i would rather them switch to the singular they just in the name of um inclusivity i think we'd all be more comfortable if everyone used they right it would be a lot easier to have casual conversation too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it like definitely would they stole their bike yep yeah yeah and see that makes perfect sense um but yeah, so they're on their way to rendezvous with the Yamamoto. There's there's a there's a hidden wholesome moment here, by the way. And I, I know right? I know how much you and everyone at home enjoys wholesomeness. Oh my god, my phone just went off. Oh, Mitch. You're how supposed am... to be a professional. I'm supposed to be a professional. So at the beginning of this episode, um they're going to rendezvous rendezvous with the ship and Picard asks Wesley, Wesley, what is our ETA? Our estimated time of arrival. And uh, Wesley Crusher says four minutes and 33 seconds, which is a very specific time to just throw into the script. Well, this is this is Beth doing Um, Beth at the time had a newborn daughter and her daughter was born on April 30th at 3 p.m. Four thirty three, which is just wonderful. That's a great little reference to Beth's daughter, um, you know, little Cindy. Congratulations, Beth. Yeah, I know it's been decades since then, and I know you lost her to... um, cancer a few years back but congratulations yeah that's absolutely beautiful and um of course our condolences as well uh so they they do rendezvous with with the yamamoto there's no trickery there is a mustache there's a mustache there's a mustache the captain has a pretty wonderful mustache oh you, he must be from the mirror universe. That's true. Well, it was there was no goatee part of it. It was only a mustache. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Um, and you know they're having problems with their ship, and then suddenly they just explode, right? How'd you feel about that? Fine. What about everybody's non-reaction to it? I I didn't think there was uh, a noticeable non-reaction to it. I felt that there was a very muted non-reaction, and they try to explain this later in the episode, but um, not even just from a mourning perspective, but from a shock perspective. You would think yeah. that somebody would you know, jump or say, oh my god, when a ship just apropos of nothing explodes right in front of them. <laughs> I guess that's true. I, I, might, I might be so used to this this non-reaction from the crew now because this has definitely happened before where there should have been a reaction and we got nothing yeah it was it was just it was it jumped out to me as as the viewer as strange and um yeah later on much later on there's a conversation where wesley's like how do i deal with my grief over this ship and picard gives him some fatherly advice but that contextual it contextualizes his part of his reaction at the time but again it still just felt too unrealistically muted even for seasoned uh veterans yeah uh and speaking of wesley he has not too much to do in this episode but it's weird that he has as much to do as he does i I feel like wonderful sentence picard speaks to him about you know what's going on with the ship um, for what appears to be no reason. Yeah. I 
I, I like the idea of, all right, we're going to have this emotion, more emotional human moment of Wesley uh, dealing with deaths in the line of duty. Because Picard makes a good point where he says, oh, you know, we've been trained for this. You haven't had that training yet. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's that's a pretty natural human element to add to the show. I, I don't that I didn't mind that. But OK, OK. I'm, yeah, al- I'm, al- fine. I'm always sympathetic to the notion that, oh, does Wesley really need to feature in this episode? Because him, yeah. him being so different from the rest of the crew, age, experience, outlook, um, shines, uh, in- increases the um, the attention on him whenever he's in a scene. Yeah. yeah. You can have Data just show up and read a few lines about uh, exposition technical exposition without really caring about it but you know wesley any line that he gives has more of a spin on it that he's okay wesley's here and what's he gonna do um you should um you should have you should have had data in this episode walk into captain picard's ready room and say something like captain i do not understand why we are not mourning the destruction of the amato (laughs) (laughs) and then troy could walk in and look at the camera and say well data you know, I, I <laughs> the fact that um, with just based off of that, you could write that whole you know, three minute scene in two <laughs> minutes is uh, is wonderful to me. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, so they're in the neutral zone, and this this is the issue: is that right. the, the the Yamato was looking for this ancient Icarian Iconian. 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 Wow, I offended you, apparently. You did. Um, the Yamato's captain is looking for Iconia. Yep, ancient civilization. Um, yep, and he found it, but it's in the neutral zone, and they have this ridiculously advanced technology, and he's like, you know, the Romulans can't get it. And then after the Yamato blows up, the Romulans show up, like immediately after, which right. makes them pretty suspicious. They decloak. They decloak. Or actually, maybe and... they just fly in. It doesn't matter. I don't know why I brought this up. Um, <laughs> and now, now it's it falls on Picard and his crew to figure out what happened to the Yamato. Okay, in the neutral zone. And um, while when when they find the ship, there's a brief moment where they can commune with it, and it's very apparent that the Yamato is having a lot of technical issues, like lights are flickering yes. on and off. The communications are constantly disrupted. The ship is basically marooned. They can't get it to their destination and then it blows up and this is where um there's this is the one contrivance that i really identified in the episode is after the ship blows up and they talk to the romulan vessel who insists that they had nothing to do with it and everyone just needs to get out of the neutral zone for very little reason picard insists on staying and obviously the mm-hmm. reason is that the, the plot needs to happen and, um, you know, they can't just go home. But it, it that really struck me as a weird thing to do at the time. Well, okay. So my impression of it is that Picard obviously needs to find out what happened to the Yamato if, if the Romulans are involved. Right, but when the Romulans say that they're not involved... And I think Troy 
gives a reading of their mood that would even indicate as much like oh they're they're really anxious rather than um something more aggressive having that what they what they would feel having just destroyed a ship the my read of the situation how as it was presented to the viewer was that the romulans were not involved and the sh- the crew should also have that general feeling combine that with the what has seemed to be a very very um precarious political situation anything with the neutral zone uh-huh. and i i don't think that picard would advocate for staying in there i don't think it's necessarily a contrivance i mean the enterprise has kind of inserted itself into all kinds of things that were better left to literally anyone else to do you know like dealing with pandemics and stuff like that i mean that's so, true it, it is in line with the show up to this point but it's getting to the point where okay there's this neutral zone and this conflict of the romulans which is treated as the heaviest conflict the federation has and any misstep could lead to an intergalactic war of god knows what scale and the the Enterprise is just fine to traipse into the neutral zone whenever they want. I do agree that it pulls some of the weight off of that controversy or that, that conflict. Because um, part of what yeah. makes the Romulans as thrilling as they are, and believe me, I think they're quite thrilling, is the, the political tightrope that every interaction with them brings. Yeah, sure, sure. So the more that that's deflated, uh, the worse everything gets it just lowers the tide mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i thought yeah. that that was a contrivance i didn't think like i said i still really like the episode and this was the one element of it i thought was a little weak but i also recognize that you know you just need the story to happen and these characters for all intents and purposes cannot leave the neutral zone if this plot is to occur so mm-hmm. maybe you need to hand wave this a little bit but it it's not a huge deal yeah i mean i I guess i guess there could have been you know a a better way to get them to stay in the neutral zone but it it didn't bother me that much well here's a question why did this need to take place in the neutral zone it it, yeah it didn't (laughs) um The, the the presence of the romulan ship throughout the plot doesn't really add so much tension when you think about it because they're not the villain and the the ship the enterprise is never really in danger from them well you know the federation is in danger because if the romulans get a hold of the warp technology that's on the planet sure that's that's the crux of the issue and i guess if the romulans because it's either federation space romulan space or the neutral zone and if mm-hmm. either of those parties were in the other's space, then then it would be a grounds for war. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's that's true too. So I guess I guess it does need to be in the neutral zone. Fair enough. Fair enough. Take it back. I'm a fool. Yep. Yep. Yeah, you are. You are. Be sure to go buy your Mitch is a fool T-shirts. <laughs> so, um, how does how does the Enterprise get infected? Um, they scan the log of the Amato, which introduces the, um, what, what it 
Right. What befell the Yamato was a computer virus, and by scanning their right. logs, it now has access to the Enterprise's um, computer. And that causes increasingly uh, serious malfunctions throughout the episode. I just want to say it's very convenient that the malfunctions start with the door and the replicator before ever uh, getting to the engine. When, <laughs> right. <laughs> completely different systems. Right. Whenever there's a good, good thing it didn't go in the opposite order for, for, for no reason, right? Well, you, you got to add uh, a certain amount of tension, I guess, and that's how you do it. You started off with the simple stuff. Uh, I mean, you know that was an AIDS allegory, of course. Right. It was the 80s, after all. Yeah, yeah. And Steve, God bless, may he rest in peace, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, he was already a pretty experienced writer by this point. That's, of course, why we, we had him on with Beth, um, who was very new. Um, he, he had written uh, Howard the Duck. Yeah, that's a big name. Howard the Duck. Um, and, you know, like any good writer, he wanted us to have a message with the show. Um, and so he, he's the one who added that that AIDS allegory and uh, a lot of people listening are probably too young to remember, of course, but uh, AIDS in the eighties was a lot like the enterprise, the enterprise's virus problem in this episode where, you know, you couldn't even get near anyone with HIV, right. You know, or, or you, you kind of risk contracting it yourself. You know, you didn't want to like touch them or even really breathe the same air. I mean, I, so, I, I still don't want to do that, but um, certainly that was a lot more intense in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I'm sure you can imagine how difficult it was to avoid these kinds of people in California, of all places, yeah, right? Especially in the clubs, <laughs> the key yeah. parties. Um, so, you know, if if you have a problem with how masked up people are right now, poof, let me tell you. Be happy you weren't around at that time. time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's I guess the, the way the Enterprise breaks down, it's kind of... Um, kind of like watching a body break down, you know, where it's simple stuff at first and then the further you go and then you explode. It's a pretty know? it's a pretty intense metaphor. Um, you know, all these ships are categorized as sister ships. They're the same gender and they pass this um, disease on to each other. And mm -hmm. then they're from the inside. They start breaking down <laughs> until they explode. Yes, it's um, it was very well thought out. And not every Trek episode works on so on as many levels as mm. this one does. Yeah, it was it was certainly no accident that that this episode ended up the way it did thematically. And I think for all my I guess misgivings about the episode, that was one thing that really shone through to me. So you know, silver lining. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the the ship does start malfunctioning. Um, Jordy gets in the elevator, and um, well, this... I'm sure not. I'm still not sure what 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 the elevator was supposed to be doing, but um, we we uh, we had to get uh, we had to get someone to 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 throw Levar up into the ceiling a few times to get those shots. I remember everybody was volunteering to do it. Everybody who could. <laughs> yeah, they want. They um... all wanted a piece of him. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Understandably. Um, At, it came to the point I, where we had to, you know, everybody puts their name to the hat because you, you only do so many takes. And yeah. You know, LeVar could only handle so many takes. But <laughs> right. I remember it was Michael who, who won one of them. 
and uh-huh. he like kind of walked up he cracked his knuckles and <laughs> he, right. he was just ready to go and <laughs> that was the last take we did lavar to tag out after that <laughs> but we got some pretty convincing footage did we not we did we did now um, in universe it calls into question the inner workings of the the elevator <laughs> Like what what the hell was that? Does it just exist in a void? Like a, a right. three-dimensional void it can go anywhere in? And that's a good that's that's a good question. Like, yeah, is it vertical? Is it horizontal? I don't know. Because he was tossed to literally all sides of it, the ceiling, the floor. Yeah. It, it's a, it's should, should ridiculous. We, should we look this up right now? Yeah, I'm sure oh, there's uh, uh blueprints of the Star Trek Enter. What do, what do they call them? They um, call them elevators? Turbo lifts. Turbo lifts. I don't know why I know that. Both vertical and horizontal transportation. That's why. Interesting. Interesting. Nuts. I guess that makes sense given the way the, the, the starships are shaped. Well, here's the thing about that scene, though, is that it still just takes him to his destination. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it it takes him there. It's just an asshole about it. And then he gets thrown. He gets ejected from it very violently. Which mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I I enjoyed this sequence. It was both silly and somewhat thrilling. I, I don't. Maybe you hated it. I don't know. Oh, it was certainly thrilling. All right. But that's that's so that's a little later in the episode. But basically, um. As they decide to go to Iconia. They, they delve the logs. Oh, right, here, all right, here's something. You, you get a load of this. Um, Picard is delving through the captain's personal logs, and he tells the computer to bring up all logs that have mention of Romulan and or Iconia. Uh-huh. Several of the logs do not that that play in that sequence do not mention Romulan at all. And when a computer says play all of these. You would think that there would be hundreds of them where he just offhandedly right. th- throws out the word Romulan, but no, it just plays in perfect sequence things only pertaining to Iconia, despite Picard's query for the search engine. Yes, that is, that, that's a pretty big mistake. Um, for what it's worth, Google had not been invented yet. It's true. Neither had Ask Jeeves. Right, or DuckDuckGo. Yep, yep, Bing. Yahoo. I do not know another search engine. Yep. Well, we're both stuck. <laughs> no, well, you won. That's the thing. Uh, there's one that was like dog themed. Oh, go fe- fetch or go- something. Yes, I think that's it. It's go fetch. And I think that would pull from every search engine. Right. Which is, as a user, um. Impercept, imperce, imperceptibly useful. Like you, you uh-huh. it's no difference. You don't know, right? You, right. <laughs> right. To you, any one search engine is just the entire internet. <laughs> well, you know, the kids are saying Google is paused now. Oh, I see. Well, the thing is, the Google has a doodle every every other day. Yes. Yes. So or, uh... whenever it's uh, Harriet Tubman's birthday. <laughs> Why, why did they call her Tubman? Um, well, do you remember when, I think it was Taft, got stuck in that bathtub? Mm-hmm. 
Um, Harriet Tubman was actually the inspiration for uh, getting him out of there. And history has retroactively given her that name because the uh, the, bre- the the type of um, butter that she was famous for churning on the the farm where she was a slave at um, goat's butter was the type that they used to grease taft out of the tub. So gotcha. At the time, well, at the time, slaves didn't have full names. They just kind of had a first name because, you know, there's not much legal basis to, to have need to refer to a slave. So for the longest time throughout recorded history of the U.S., she was as Harriet. And after mm-hmm. the whole Taft thing, they're like, OK, well, let's let's give her a proper name. You know, she did these great um, acts for the Underground Railroad. She deserves to have a proper surname as well. And, you know. They did the Taft thing, so all right, Tubman, got it. How serendipitous! Although, if I had to go back, I think I think they should have called her Harriet Tub Girl. That's true. Well, I mean, Tub Woman. Tub Woman. Let's sure. not let's not infantilize her. Well, I was trying to keep the syllables the same, keep it snappy. That's true. That's true. But you're you're undercutting her autonomy and agency. As yeah, okay. I, look, I'm just trying to be an ally. Plus, plus, as a slave, she was robbed of her girlhood, so mm-hmm. let's not... Oh, I'm sure she was. Let's let's not uh, downplay that struggle. Right, right. Well, shout out to Harriet Tubman. Shout- <laughs> Hope you're listening. <laughs> what's, the, what's this podcast about, Trek? Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> the elevate, the turbo lift... <laughs> 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 oh man uh oh jeez so anyway um they go to iconia the the fucking mm. enterprise and there's they find there's a probe does it i don't know if this really matters and yeah, yeah. they they discern that the probe downloaded the computer virus onto all of the Amato systems, which is why it had mm-hmm. such a sudden collapse. And Jordy's rushing through this uh, broken turbo yes, lift right. to, to deliver <laughs> news, like, don't let that probe scan you. And I forgot there was so much tension with that scene. Yes. If for some reason, well, I guess the, the virus is the reason, but the communicators decided to not work only in that moment. And um, he's like, I have to rush to this broken elevator. I'm going to get thrown yep, around, yep. but I still get there in time anyway. And uh, they destroy the probe and all's fine. So they're like, we got to go down mm-hmm. to Iconia and figure this out. We have to go down to the planet. Right, and, right. And Picard says, I'm the archaeologist. I'm leading the away team. <laughs> and Riker gets mugged. Yes. Yes, he does. Um, by a shorter, now before, before, before they go down there, though... They have a little run-in with the with the the Romulans again, right? Where they they're trying to 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 scan the uh, basically just the same thing happens to the Romulans, right? And and the Enterprise has to be like, don't do that. I think that they go down and then the Romulans uncloak while Riker's in charge of the ship. But you're you're basically right. That is what happens. Um, well, it's, I no no they they have the Romulans destroy the probe and. Riker does that. Oh, really? 
Well, I, I, I'm kind of doubting it, but I think so. Because uh, Riker says something to the effect of, um, if, if you want to live, destroy that probe. And okay. th- then it's just this awkward still shot of a small blue ball getting blown up by a, right, right. By a stationary laser. All right, maybe. Um, I, I'm I'm not going to argue because I don't really care. But, well, the thing is, these two um, events are so close together that it, it really yeah, does not matter. It might as well be any order. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of disturbed that medical personnel didn't know what a splint was. I was kind of disturbed that that exchange was in the episode. It's just a weird, weird shot at this random doctor. And it's not, it doesn't really do much for Pulaski's character either, which is like her one line in the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I know this outdated uh, way of medicine. I'm a comprehensive doctor. And then you got this guy, this man. It's like, well, I've never heard of a splint. <sighs> yeah, he was trying to mansplain to her. Right. And uh, she gives the most bare bones explanation of what a splint is. It's like, oh, just take right. two pieces of wood and a, a, and, a, and a rag, tie it together. Just smack them with a plank of wood. Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing that bothers me about this is, like, we've already seen several times where medical personnel has been caught on an away team without access to technology. You know, mm. you would think they would know how to do a basic splint. But whatever. Um this didn't serve I totally lost. No, it didn't. I totally lost what I was going to say after this, though. I had something really important. Really insightful? Yeah. Well, uh, so they're going down to the planet. Anything related to that? Oh, 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 no. I had, I had, so, you know, they, they figure out that this virus is, like, rewriting the Enterprise computer, right? Mm-hmm. And my worry is, are they going to lose Moriarty? Uh, <laughs> or are they going to lose the the brain of that guy who took over Data's body? That's an no. excellent question. Um, is so, that going to be overwritten? Well, here's the thing about a system restore, which is the solution. In in the most weirdly prophetic bit of writing I've ever seen at a, in a television show, when you get a virus, you just do a system restore. Um, uh, they. I thought we were going to talk about this later, but holy shit. Yeah, I, we can talk. We can talk about it now. It's it's amazing in several ways. One, a how simple it is, and really they should have just arrived at this conclusion earlier if this was an option. Yes, yes. But b how this is actually just what you do with a computer virus in the modern year, right? Which is astounding. Right. Um, this was in the eighties. Home computers were so far away from being. The norm. You, this is not something that the average person would be privy to. And obviously, this mm-hmm. was written by, by an IT individual in part. Um, but yeah, what you do for a virus, both in the 80s and the 24th century, is also what you do in the 21st century. And that's that's just oddly amusing. It's it's cute, um, but it is disturbing that yeah, Jordy couldn't arrive at this conclusion on his own. Right. You didn't just try shutting the computers down, huh? <laughs> just, um, and he does a wipe, which would, it would wipe Moriarty out. Moriarty out. Well, would I did not. I assume that just like with the system restore in real life, you kind of have these saved instances. Oh, you got the backups. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. So they'd have like you know, 
if it's anything like my system restores throughout the years, you'd have one from three years ago and then uh, (laughs) one from yesterday, which is corrupted. Yes. (laughs) Yes, of course. So maybe they would lose Moriarty. Um, Let's just just keep a Moriarty watch for for the rest of the series. Sure, sure. We'll see if Moriarty ever shows up again, huh? Yes. Or if there's ever uh, any probable reason for him to be expunged from the computer <laughs> banks. So, so yes, they do go down to Iconia. Yes. It's Picard, Data, and Worf. And right. um, Worf is looking different this episode. Yeah, this is the first time that there's a lot of focus on Worf. And I think a lot of people, certainly as people wrote in at the time, identified that Worf has a slightly different look. This was the debut and the only instance, actually, of the Type C prosthetic, Klingon prosthetic, mm-hmm. and a lot of it has to do with where the hair meets the prosthetic, like that area of it. That's where the big differences were, and right. it's very apparent on the HD release. But you can see why we didn't really stick with this one. It's pretty apparent why the Type B model was used immediately <laughs> again in the next episode. Um, I don't yeah. blame people for innovating and trying, but this. This one did not work. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it really just, it's a freak thing, you know? I mean, we had really skilled makeup guys, you know, that that came through every episode. I don't know how this happened, but, you know, every now and then, everyone has a bad day, I guess. Yeah, and um, know, part of the creative industry is accepting these uh, losses, these things that don't work out. Yeah, you gotta take chances sometimes, and sometimes it's just it's not meant to be. Right. But um, we have we do have Riker staying on the bridge, of course. There's a great line. Oh, where, an extremely great line. Yeah, and I, I, you know what I'm talking about, where he tells Troy <laughs> to go do something to keep the the crew's morale up as the the ship starts kind of like imploding almost. And she says something like, oh, don't you need me here? Yeah, in for, case... For, for interacting with the Romulans? Right, in case right? you need to negotiate again. And and he looks at her with just this the most condescending smile and just says, I'll manage. <laughs> that I, I refuse to believe. I never had a chance to ask about this, but I refuse to believe that this was not intentional. It, it had to have been. I th- and I thought of you and us, all of our discussions, when I heard yeah. that again. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so, so apropos, isn't it? It is. I mean, if everything we've we've talked about regarding Troy's role on the bridge, which is basically nothing, anyone could be sitting in that seat. And the doctor frequently does, so. So they go down, it's this away yep. team. And yep. they're, they're on a set, which you said you don't like, which I thought was serviceable. Yeah, so here's here's the thing with this set. I mean, we're talking about an ancient civilization. You can take this so many different ways, just have it look completely alien, extremely advanced in ways we could never comprehend. But it looks like any other set you would find in the modern day in this universe. I think that the control panel design was unique enough. Oh, well, the control panel design. Oh, we're going we're gonna to go here. It. 
I guess you could raise the point of how impractical a triangular shaped screen is. It, it certainly is. And this is supposed to be an advanced species, despite how old they are. So they should presumably have efficiency through all these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and I now that I'm talking about it, it is kind of dumb. And it's just what we control our advanced warping technology through a game of Simon. <laughs> yeah, that was stupid too. Um, and and then of course you have the the warping window which um kind of just displays whichever locale it wants to at any given time and you have to just sit there and wait for it to cycle through um interesting behind the scenes bit about this too is um you know it's it's, it's flashing through all these different locations and there's a location that looks uh pretty suspiciously like toronto right yep um and I think this has been debated quite a bit, especially on like truck forums and stuff. Oh yeah. You know, was that supposed to be Toronto? Is it like some other, you know, Federation planet or something, some Federation city? Uh, but no, it was supposed to be Toronto itself. Um, because you see, one thing we were all very keen on for the direction of this show was just sort of ditching all the sci-fi mumbo jumbo outright. Hmm. And, um, Getting our characters to the to the twentieth century San Francisco setting of like Star Trek Four, right? Just to be relatable. Yeah, I mean, come on, it's it's it, people don't want to see like weird garbage in space, sterile. You know? Yeah, they want contemporary issues, and so we we were gonna have Picard time his jump just a second too late through that window, mm. and um, he was gonna. He was going to find himself transported right into the, the, the heart of Toronto, right? Um, actually, in the middle of an AIDS march. Well, it would have been a real on-the-nose thing for the metaphor of, this, of the episode. Have, I think it would have worked out very well. It, um, it might have. It might have. But we, we were going to have the rest of the season just have the, the crew search for him. You know, that was going to be like the, the majority of the rest of the season. Um, and, you know, we'd have all this uh, <laughs> all this pretty hilarious fish out of water comedy um, as as they would, you know, kind of start coming through to the other side of of, of the warp portal. I remember um, we had this big idea where um, Picard is looking at that, you know, that one really winding road in San Francisco. That's like, mm -hmm. yeah, where Picard sees that. And um, there's a remark, like a condescending remark about you know, 20th century efficiency. Yes, um, yes, yes. But we were um, planning a lot of on-location shots. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was going to be all on-location for the most part. Um, you know, we were going to have Jordy ride the trolley. Yes, yes. And um, uh, th there was a big, um, coming out of the, you know, the, the mood that precipitated the, the L.A. riots, it was going to be this this race thing um, yes an intersection of about his race and about his disability and it was it would have been groundbreaking it would have been and you know this is what a show needs it needs to be about contemporary politics or else no one's going to want to watch it no um, 
but for whatever reason, this idea got completely shelved. It obviously didn't happen. Um, but I am really happy we get to revisit it in Picard season two. Look forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, seriously though, the, the intermittent changing of locale in this teleport window thing, Hmm. um, it's really stupid. It is. You can explain it away by, uh, the fact that Data did not know what he was doing at the console, but. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. That's a plausible explanation, but it's. I agree with you. It is dumb that this thing has a setting to just cycle through six, seven, eight different locations. <laughs> uh, like, why? And why do they? Yeah. Why do two of them just happen to be these ships in the area? One of the, neither of which were scanned, so that doesn't even right, hurt. right, right. right. <laughs> ah, yeah. I hate that. It's it it's that's that's a real contrivance. Um, yeah. So. At some point during this, they grasp the the severity of the situation where if mm. this technology where one can not beam but just basically transcend space and time to any location, Romulans have this, it's game over, so they have to destroy this technology. And yeah. um, they set out to do that while Data's trying to blow up or make like a self-destruct sequence. Uh, it scans him, which severely disables data. And yeah, this, and I, yeah. I, 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 I just want to note that that Brent is very good at playing dead. He's very good at playing dead. Um, he's not as good at playing <laughs> half dead. So there's a period of time where data is supposed to be malfunctioning, and he he's like jittering, and he can't really get out full sentences. And the Picard and Worf are trying their best to communicate with him to solve the situation with his expertise of yep. of how to work this console. And I remember Brent was really into this. What he was trying to do was really play on the robot element of things. Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, you know, beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. You know, these, these <laughs> robot noises. But, and, you know, that's a nice bit of improv he's you know he's feeling the character it is a robot thing right yes yeah but he just the times he chose to do it were really really inopportune michael would be delivering worse lines about picard's intended sacrifice um you know know, captain you you will die you know these these very heavy and then brent just beep boop beep boop beep (laughs) And it really affected the mood of the scene such that the director really just needed to put Brent in his place and they went outside for five, ten minutes. And when they came back, it was over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was not the first time that would happen to Brent and it wouldn't be the last time either. No, I mean, these comedy people, they... Uh, yeah, oh, man. Hard, hard to keep a lid on them. Yeah, certainly. Uh so that scene was, I mean, even the, the final scene we got was excruciating. I don't know about that. It, oh, God, it was horrible. So it was like, did we have to bide our time to, to get to the full full 45 minutes? So I assume you're talking about Picard asking 
the malfunctioning yes. data for directions. Yeah. I I remembered that scene and would have thought that scene would have lasted maybe like thirty seconds, but mm-hmm. it goes on for like five minutes. I, it didn't drag to me. I, I felt uh-uh. get out of here. I felt a sufficient amount of tension in that scene of um you know the whole circumstance. You know we have to do this with this timing for various reasons because of the Romulan threat, because of um, the timing on the gateway, uh, the Enterprise about to blow, being about to blow up at any given moment. All of these elements combined to create enough tension where uh, I was invested and the scene didn't okay. drag to me. Okay. I feel like you could have had Data speak normally and just be like, Captain, I do not have long or something. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's certainly true. I... Putting aside the improv issues, Brent's acting overall was very distracting. It just wasn't great yeah. in the scene. Yeah. So you could have. And we were we were talking off mic about how I mean it's a difficult scene to do. It is. You could have done it a different way. Play more on the the physical malfunctions. And sure. Uh, Data can talk, but he can't move. And he's like, "Worf, move me over here. Help me look at this." Yeah! 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 And that would have been fine. All three characters would have been involved, and it, the pacing probably would have been better. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would have been a great change, actually. That's a really good idea, Mitch. I'm full if of If only them. they listened to you more. If only. If only. <laughs> Instead, I just have to pitch my ideas for the most boringest episode ever. Um, and which still not win. Did, did you... I guess I could share um, my nomination for this. Sure. So... What my pitch was a Picard Luxwana episode where mm. they both bond over something introduced in this episode, actually, um, which we haven't talked about yet, over tea, Picard's love of tea. And right. the, the whole thrust of the episode was that Luxwana is visiting the Enterprise for some reason, and she sees Picard order a Earl Grey tea hot um Ooh. And she immediately jumps in with, no, you can't order your tea like this. You have to do this. And <laughs> it becomes this series of one-upsmanship where they both try to pitch their favorite tea to each other for 40 minutes. And mm-hmm. um, I thought for sure if I could get that episode greenlit, I would win. And I still maintain that, but obviously that never came to pass. Well, someone thought it was interesting. Someone did. Sounds sounds like a real home run to me. Well, if that's the now, case, what, what I was one? Yeah. What was Luaxana's favorite tea? Oh, so this was going to be not something entirely realistic. Like it was going to be an alien tea. Um, oh, oh yeah, that makes I, sense. I, I think what I pitched was the 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 Roybos tea of Thraben Four. Was uh, okay. Was my contribution. Okay. But the the idea was that you could only have it, for, to rather to bring out its full potency, you you had to eat it alongside some targ like food. It wasn't Klingon foods. It wasn't targ, but it, mm-hmm. it was something like that. Where it's like, oh, you, the equivalent of oh tea and scones. You have to have gotcha. it this way. And then Picard would be this purist. It's like, no, you just have the tea. Um, you don't eat anything. You don't put anything in it. And Luxwan is like, no, you got to add this this special. Uh, sugar cane from an entirely different planet and it, they couldn't have been more opposite of each other that was the whole point yeah 
Huh. Well, I mean, look, you know, there's there's always the possibility that um, you can make that into a novel, a comic, you know? That's true. That's true. I mean, I, you know, you've read the Star Trek novels I've worked on over the years, just privately. Uh, yeah. This, this They're pretty good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this might be an idea worth exploring, but it was born out of that let's make the most boring episode mm-hmm. competition. Well, thank you for sharing, Mitch. Yeah, it's... it's I'm sure the audience appreciates that. I'm going to get in contact with some of the guys and the gals from that competition, that little circle, and uh, see if I can bring up some of the um, other pitches from them, especially the ones that... That's a good idea. Made. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah. So, so to continue with the episode... Um, I mean, it's basically just, you know, everyone lives happily ever after, except for the Romulans who, uh, have Picard teleport to their ship. Um, and then, then he says like a snarky one-liner. Well, he says basically amounts to you're going to die and then leaves. (laughs) (laughs) He, first of all, he says the strangest line of dialogue ever written by a human being. And I'll read it to you. Um, here's the exchange. Is the, the the Romulan commander says, you know, we, I can't stop our self-destruct sequence, but I will have the satisfaction of taking you with me. And then Picard, as he's beaming away, which he didn't know he would beam away, he says, not, I think, today. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> not, I think, today. <laughs> yep. I cannot get over that that phrasing. Uh, yeah, it 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 really. Re- I don't remember what the script was as written, but it really reads like Patrick just flubbed it, and um, <laughs> we kept it in. Yeah, and that's that's another good point too. Is he did not know he was going to be beamed out of there. No, so for all he knew, he could have said that and then gotten his ass kicked. And but the the Romulan ship does end up halting its self-destruct sequence, so I guess that was just... No, a... it blows up. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. There's no way. There's absolutely it no blows way to... Up. No, it does not. Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> well, not anymore. I thought it blew up. No, so... Because uh, Picard beams back, and he says... He he opens a communications channel. And he says, "Oh yeah, that's right. right. They're gonna they're gonna help them. Okay, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it'd be an international intergalactic incident if uh, that ship blew up, <laughs> but not if the the Yamato blows up. Right, right. Yeah, we can we can sacrifice them. Right, all those lives, all those um, all those lives. So, yeah, you know." I'm glad the audience gets to listen to my very, very important opinion on, on an episode that I uh, forgot the plot to. I have a note here that says, what was that last line? Question mark, question mark. And I'm not sure if I'm referring to the not I think today or if the actual last line of the episode was also <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but I guess it's we nice. We can check. Oh, I, we can check. I know you love bringing up the script. I know you have starscripts.net bookmarked. No, it's uh the, the last line is yeah, well number one, I can see why you want to keep the away missions to yourself. 
That's where the excitement is. So what's been happening here? Same old routine, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. That was that was weird. Like what? What the hell? It was uh, like a little comedy bit. Right. And Picard should surely appreciate the sheer amount of stress that everyone's been taxed uh, by the fact that they've been living on a ship that could explode at any moment. <laughs> yeah. I, the the those end of episode lines are so much better as thoughtful reflections than they are as quips oh yeah 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 you never know which one you're gonna get we've gotten quite a few quips so far do you remember um what was the name of that episode that everybody likes where picard lives out an entire life as a as this guy on a on a planet in a primitive civilization and then he dies oh god um but do you remember that episode yeah so at the end of it picard is in his ready room and uh or maybe it's just his quarters and he has that flute that he had learned to play in that other life and it's just him like looking out the window and it's very thoughtful um and i'm just imagining if that also ended in a stupid quip and uh it's like it's picard's birthday and he's like well i'm not 49 actually i'm 132 after that and everyone just laughs. <laughs> Freeze frame. Yeah. It... <laughs> it's like how many how many of those how many of those thoughtful moments have we been robbed of by these stupid quips at the end of these episodes? <laughs> um, I feel like like every one in ten is kind of funny. Sure. Sure. It's probably it probably scales with the uh, the intensity of the episode itself. Right? Yeah, you you, yeah. Have, you have a somber light or um or thoughtful episode, then a quip is not is just no matter how funny it is, it's gonna feel incongruent. Whereas the opposite, very out of place. Yeah, you, you have a lighthearted Wesley or Data episode, and obviously you, you want to end it with a quip. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean. Anything else before we get into our our conclusion here? Before we get into our conclusion, um, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's uh, it's. I'll, I'm just gonna jump into the conclusion with um, my thoughts. So I think more of these this episode's flaws have come to light in our discussion, but I would still kind ca- of characterize it as an episode I thoroughly enjoyed. Um. Oh, I yeah. will say something. There was a lot of thoughtful camera direction in this episode. There's this one scene where they're having a briefing about the nature of the virus, and it's very thoughtfully shot, very intentionally shot. There's a lot of you know what you're right. There's a lot of camera movement in basically every cut, and it it, it struck me as much more um, visually engaging than a lot of scenes yeah. typically are in TNG. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And shout out to Joe, um, who we didn't mention even once during this episode. Well, we got him but, in the end. Um, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it is, it is difficult to bring up someone who is just so good at their job that, uh, I mean, the job of a director really is to, to, to convince you he's not there. Right. You know what I mean? And unless, so. unless you're privy to this kind of thing, you, you don't notice it. He is not there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, really good job. Much better than yeah. than we usually get, right? For sure. Yeah, he did a great job. 
Um, but going uh, back to my overall thoughts, it's I still think it's a great episode. Um, the tone being more uh, sci-fi in general, more technical, a little more sterile. Um, I appreciate, I like these episodes of Trek that just have more intriguing sci-fi-ish premises. Mm-hmm. And despite the flaws, I think that it executed its premise well. Sure. Um, I obviously didn't like the episode as much. I would agree with you that, I mean, it's 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 a decent episode. I think it just might be not kind of my cup of tea. Um, more, more Earl Grey cold. Right, right. I wouldn't tell someone not to watch this episode, but it's probably not one that I'm going to be personally going back to anytime soon. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, there's sometimes where an episode I think is really good, and if, if you have a negative opinion of it, I kind of don't get it, but I completely understand where you're coming from on this. Yeah, I just found myself completely bored with this one, but that's not to say it was a boring episode. It's just You can say it's not a boring my episode. I'm not going to get offended. And it's an episode of television, so it's not going to get offended. Well, I'm worried about our ensigns, Mitch. Oh, that's true. <laughs> they've, they've been offended before, and they will be offended again. <laughs> oh, they'll continue to be offended. Fuck you, ensigns. Fucking. Ah, uh, so... All right, let me uh, let me move on to the my question for you. All right, is this uh, is this another comic? The mirror, 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 uh, comic question. Yep. You so, know, I think the mirror, mirror universe is where I get the trivia questions correct. <laughs> You'll get this one. You'll okay. get this one. So, Picard and his crew have successfully stolen the Enterprise with the help of. Jordy, right. or at least they've convinced Jordy to help them in their plan to steal the Enterprise, which was just now, floating in midair, cloaked. Yes, in the middle of the city. Um, now Picard, who's still on the Stargazer, is saying, "You know, we as a ship to be able to function, we need a crew that trusts each other. And since this is the Mirror Universe, everyone does not trust each other, and in fact, will kill each other at the drop of a hat, as we've seen." So. Yes. <laughs> so what Picard proposes is to have Troy read everyone's minds and kick out anyone who is at all disloyal to the captain. Okay. He also decides he needs a new first officer. Is Riker in the in the scene at this point? No. Okay. But he's the one he wants to get as the first. No, you know what it is? Riker is the first officer of the Enterprise. He's the he's planned to be the first officer in the, of the Enterprise. So Picard wants him to be his first officer. So he needs to convince Riker to allow Picard to take over the Enterprise. Okay. How does Picard convince Riker? He meets him at a bar. Uh, How does he convince Riker to join him? He offers him women. He does not offer. Ah, oh, God, I was so I'll confident. You, I'll, I'll give you give you one more. All right, all right. Um, you didn't have a chance to think. You didn't give yourself a chance to think. No, but I don't think that that's a bad thing to snap it's not, No, it's not, it's not a bad... No, it's not. Okay. So how does Picard offer successfully offer Riker this and get him to come to his side? Yes. Um, hmm. I kind of suspect that it has to do with an order of succession kind of thing where Picard says something to the effect of 
um, you know, once once I die, you're you'll be you'll be next up as captain. Um, and because we're all duplicitous traitors, that's sure to happen at some point. Um, well, not quite. No. Okay. Then I then I uh, let me that's take a good guess. Let me get three strikes on this, and then I'll be out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so not that not women. What I, I'm thinking more about Riker right now. What motivates Riker? Is I'm not. I'm going to assume this has nothing to do with jazz. Nothing to do with jazz. Okay. <laughs> um. All right. Then something to the effect of, in this in its current assignment, the Enterprise will just be doing basic boring assignments and under me it will be more adventurous and uh exciting nope dang so the the way he gets Riker to join him in his effort to what does he oh, take right. over the enterprise okay is he just beats the shit out of him <laughs> he gets into a fist fight and he beats him so, he throws a chair at him. Uh huh. <laughs> Riker throws a chair at Picard. It's always Riker and in chairs. Then Picard suplexes him, and um, they sit there afterward. And Riker says, "Oh, why don't you tell me about this plan of yours now?" So just to be clear, Picard, despite the goatee, is otherwise the same person, right? He's still like an aging, bald man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he suplexes the the six inch taller Riker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I should have known. You you have to admit it's very convincing. A great way to have someone join your team is by beating them. Well, I assume that in the mirror universe, everyone just operates on the most violent prison logic that that exists. <laughs> that is what it is. Is prison logic. Um, it really is how the world should be. You know, you talk shit, get hit, kind of stuff. All right, in, in this in the mirror universe, is it bearded Riker or no bearded Riker? Uh, he's bearded and he he has a scar going down his left eye, and his his left eye is kind of discolored because it's like blind or whatever because of the scar. Because of the scar, he should yeah. get what they're giving Jordy. Cyborg he should guy? maybe be able to see better. Yeah, see it all. It would uh, counteract his cataract. Yeah, that's a good one. Thank you. Um, I, I I do have to note they all have short sleeves or no sleeves actually in this universe on their on their uniforms. That follows prison logic for what it's worth. <laughs> their uniforms are the exact same except they just have no sleeves. Guns out. Yep. Yep. Um, but yeah. Anyway, good attempts. Um, you you're you were too smart for this comic. To uh, thank you. That means a lot to me. <laughs> That'll 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 come back to that well when I'm licking my wounds from from this loss yep. of trivia. Look, I I I can't blame you for getting that wrong. I really can't. It's fun to guess. It's fun to theorize these things. Um, and I appreciate the the wealth of opportunity this mirror mirror comic is is giving our <laughs> trivia hour. <laughs> yeah, we still have God another ten chapters to go. So, uh, a weird case of serendipity is that I believe that when Picard goes undercover in an episode of TNG on, like, a smuggler ship, 
I don't know if you remember this, but he basically ingratiates himself into the, the ship of criminals in this exact same yes. fashion. Yes. And uh, probably, probably where the inspiration was drawn from. Probably. This comic was written decades after yes. TNG. Yes. Yeah. Very recent. People just love this this geriatric Picard just you know stomping on uh, I know much fitter men. It's I mean it's especially disturbing nowadays. It is. I mean seeing Patrick Stewart speak is especially disturbing nowadays. <laughs> well, you know, like he always says, if if you like the Jonas brothers, cover your belly. Indeed. And join us next week on the Ready Room, where we'll be covering our bellies as noted Jonas Brothers fans. I know we both have their calendars on our walls and in our bathrooms. So yes, indeed. it'll be a fun time. And until then, everybody, please stay ready. The troublesome little man child. Consider that in the history of many worlds, there have always been disposable creatures. Beginning, 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 beginning.